Do you mind if I just come out here? Is this okay with the camera, Greg? We all right? Okay. So, do you want to hear a joke? No, I don't have a joke. Sorry. How about, how about, I'm not much of a joke teller. How about a funny story? All right. So I heard this one about a week ago. I was at the school. I was getting ready to leave. I'd volunteered there. I was getting ready to leave. And she said, do you want to hear a funny story? So I'll tell you that funny story. How's that sound? That work? All right. So she told me, hey, right after you came into the school, about two minutes later, police came in and they were all over the place and they were looking for somebody. It got really tense. And then people started pointing at me, she said. They were looking at me. And then the police came up to her and they showed her a picture of the person they were looking to apprehend. And the picture was of me. I didn't know this. I wasn't there. But the police were combing the school looking to arrest me. So it turns out that when you check into a school, you go to a safety room, you have to have a background check to get in. And I cleared the background check, but there's somebody else who has my name, Daniel Miller, it's a really common name, who's not allowed to be in the building. Now, fortunately, that other guy with my name doesn't look like me, so they know it's a different one. Uh, But when the, the lady at the desk was pushing the button saying that, yeah, I could come in, she accidentally pushed a button that said I was a suspect coming into the building and was a threat. And needed to be apprehended. Meanwhile, I'm in a second grade classroom just waiting, not having any idea that a group of Indianapolis police officers were at the school looking to arrest me in front of a bunch of second graders. And that's the time I almost got arrested at Christmas time. (laughs) What do you think? It's kind of funny, right? It's not a real Christmassy story, but let's go to the Christmas story. The Christmas story is mainly told by two of the gospel writers, Matthew, who wrote the one that's placed in there first, and then Luke, who wrote another one. And so today we're going to start at Matthew. And Matthew, when, when he's writing here, Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. The way that our Bibles are arranged, Malachi is the last book, and there's about a 400 or so year gap between Malachi, the last, last kind of st- parts of the Old Testament, And then the start of the New Testament. So when we start Matthew, we're reading scripture. It's the first scripture that came after about a 400-year period of relative quiet in terms of the Bible is concerned. So Matthew starts off with the Christmas story. And we're going to go to the very first verse to see how Matthew starts the Christmas story. It may not seem that Christmassy, but it's important. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah the son of David. Now, if you have a different translation, you may have a different wording here. It may say Jesus Christ. Christ is a a Greek term that's describing, here we're using the the Hebrew term, Messiah. So we're going to stick with that today. I know if you're here, you're not used to church, uh, this may seem a little odd, and and that's okay. We want you to know we're so glad to have you with us. And we're going to slowly kind of walk through maybe what they're talking about with this idea of Messiah. We maybe, we've heard of Handel's Messiah maybe, and we hear that term sometimes. But but what, what are they talking about here with the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David? 
So going back into that Old Testament period, the Hebrew people, the Jews, had an expectation that a Messiah, a political leader, a king is maybe another way to say it, that was going to come and he was going to bring some sort of liberation, some sort of freedom to the people of Israel. And it was really important in the beliefs of the Messiah that he was from the line of David. Because King David was back about a thousand years earlier in the history and King David and his son Solomon represented like the golden age. When, when, hit, when Israel was at its peak, David and Solomon were leading things and they thought that they were going to be this light to the nation. And then it had been kind of a steady-ish decline for a thousand years. But there was still this hope that a Messiah, a king, a leader, a political leader uh, would arise in the line of David who would bring some liberation, who would bring hope. Who, who would finally fulfill that promise to be a light to the world. So that's a little bit what we're getting into. And we'll skip down. We're not going to go through the genealogy. But let's skip over to Matthew 1.18. And here it is again. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah. So Matthew said, hey, in case you didn't catch that word the first time. This is really important that you get this. This is Jesus. He's the Messiah. This is really key. This is how it came about. His mother, Mary, good job. Somebody, one of the kids got this. Good job, you're right. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. So that is, the, that is really important about Matthew. So when we're, we're thinking about the Christmas story, it's about Jesus the Messiah. Now, Matthew is writing primarily to people uh, who are from Israel. And so it's really important that they get it. But Matthew is not the only one who focuses on this. The other gospel writer that tells us this, Luke, is probably a Gentile. And Gentile is just a fancy word that means not Jewish, which is probably almost all of us here are Gentiles. So Luke is not a, he's not Jewish, he's Gentile. He's writing to people like most of us, Gentiles who don't have the the background and all of that. But listen listen to this comment that Luke writes. This is when, this is the part of the the Christmas story, when the Lord sends an angel, a messenger, to declare what Christmas is all about. And the angel appears to shepherds who are keeping watch in their fields at night. And this is the message. This is from a, a messenger of God, so it's really important that we hear this today. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So really important here, Messiah. So this may seem like we're going backwards here, but this is just a little bit that we're going to do to try to grasp what we're talking about by Messiah. So we already mentioned that the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, And this part's going to seem really boring here, but these are some of the instructions that came from Moses. Moses was the central leader in the Old Testament. He was the one that God sent into Egypt to set the the people of Israel free from slavery in Egypt. And then afterwards, he was trying to teach them the law of how a free people should live. So we're going to go to a book called Numbers. Again, not riveting material, but hang with me here. Speak to the Israelites and say to them, throughout the generations to come, you are to make tassels 
on the corners of your garments with a blue cord on each tassel. You will have the tassels to look at, and so you will remember all the commands of the Lord, that you may obey them and not prostitute yourselves by chasing the lusts of your own hearts and eyes. Then you will remember to obey all my commands and will be consecrated to your God. The part of the law here it's talking about, is again, I know this probably seems weird here. He's talking about garments and, and tassels. And that word for garments is the word, you ready for some Hebrew? Second Hebrew, sorry, we don't usually do a lot of Hebrew, but we got Messiah. Now we have the word kanaf. You got it? Kanaf. Now, that word is not kanaf, all right? And if you, if you don't know what kanaf means, that's okay. You don't really need to know what that is. If you do, uh, we might say that, you might understand it, but kanaf is basically saying it's enough with just putting a kin over it. So, this is not kanaf, this is kanaf. So kanaf is the term. Got that, he- got that in your head? Kanaf. All right. So we'll, cause we'll get back to this. Um, so uh, as we do, the, I want to I show what a kanaf is like. So this is one of our goodies that we have. Now, no one can take this home, but you can touch it today if you want to. Well, that can be a goodie. And the kanaf. All right. So the idea is that, see, these are the tassels here. And the edge of this prayer shawl, this garment, is the kanaf. That is the kanaf. So this is what's referenced in numbers. And that's really important for us to remember. So the last time that I spoke here, uh, a couple weeks ago, I talked about... The other thing that's in here for today, we got some more things for tonight, by the way, if you're going to come out, it'll be exciting to you. Uh, but the last time I was here, we pulled this thing out, this dragon, and talked about the Christmas dragon, because even though the Christmas story is told mainly in Matthew and Luke, Revelation, the last book that has all kinds of symbols, talks about the nativity with the dragon. And the dragon represents Satan, the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. It was also Herod's role in the Christmas story. But the dragon made an attempt to kill the baby Jesus early on. Fortunately, he did not succeed. But we're going to put the dragon back there. He's going to be outside the stable because he got there too late. But we wanted to remember Advent is the coming of Christ. And just as Jesus came for us, Jesus said that a thief comes too to steal and kill and destroy. And that's one of the difficult difficulties we, we wrestle with in and this life that we have as we talk about the hope and joy and peace and love of the Advent season. So after that sermon, the next day I, was the day when I got out of the school escaping arrest. And, and I had the day before, one of the illustrations was about the Christmas of 2004. And my oldest nephew, Malachi, had been sick that Christmas. He got sick right after Christmas and it colored everything. Well, right after, again, I got out of school, I got a call, and it was not good news. And uh, a lot happened with that. And that night, he would have a procedure, and we knew it was a really difficult thing for him to deal with. We got some bad news that night. And we knew that as we went to bed that Monday night. Well, I had a dream. 
And in the dream, it was Malachi, my nephew. He's 19 years old. He was in there, and I think we were at an airport. And uh, Malachi, some of the complications that he had as a newborn, he was never able to talk, form words. Well, in my dream, Malachi was talking. We were, I think, at an airport. He was talking, and I just remember thinking, how did I miss this? Like, why did I think he couldn't talk? Like, here he is, he's talking, and I I remember just being really confused. Like, he can talk, I was mistaken, how did I miss this? Well, the next day, we, uh, Jenny and I went back to Riley for what was expected to be the last day of his life. And as we were trying to figure out how to do that with with a kid, I mean, with anybody, it's difficult, but I wanted to remember... And I wanted to remember that Christmas in 2004, 19 years ago, right afterwards. And one of the the foundational memories, we'd just been told by a doctor that she thought that they could do some things that would give him two or three more days. And I just remember sessions where our family would go into the chapel at Riley. And that's where I wanted to be for a little while. Because I had these memories. And one of my memories was of my brother-in-law, Malachi's father, his firstborn, newborn child. And he's been told, maybe he's got two or three days. We don't know. And as we prayed for his healing, I remember Chris singing praise songs. Thinking like Job. The Lord gives, the Lord takes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In those moments, I remembered him praising God when it seemed like all hell was breaking loose in the world and in our family. I wanted to remember that. And the other thing that really stood out from that time period was from the book of Malachi. So I wanted to read it because Jenny did this really cool thing. She made this gift. And on the gift, I don't remember exactly what it was. It might have been a sign, a banner. But it proclaimed a messianic prophecy from the book of Malachi. So I wanted to read that, and I wanted to leave that Bible in Riley Chapel right open to that. And so that's where we're going to go. It's that verse. This verse from Malachi is a messianic prophecy. It was over 400 years before Jesus was born, and it was a prophecy, a prediction of what would happen with the Messiah, one of the indicators. So we're going to go to Malachi 4, 2. Keep in mind, this is over 400 years before Jesus is born, and this is a prophecy of the Messiah. But for you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. Or another translation is healing in its wings. You know what that word is for rays or wings? Anybody guess? Kanaf. The son of righteousness will rise, the Messiah, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its, in its enough, its wings, its rays sounds better when it's a son, S-U-N. And that was understood to be a messianic prophecy. Out of that, there was this expectation that when the Messiah appeared and he wore his prayer shawl, there would be healing power at work in his Tanakh, in his wings, in his rays. There's a really incredible story about this from the Gospels. We're going to go to Luke 8, 
42b. And this is that story. As Jesus was on his way, he's going to heal a little girl. The crowds almost crushed him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of Jesus' cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. Now, one of the things I want to point out here, it's so fascinating to me. Jesus is in this crowd. He's getting ready to bring a little girl back from the dead, bring her back from death to life. And then, like, how would Jesus not know who touched him with this crowd? But then when he asked, the person who touched him, this woman who, we don't know her name, but she'd been bleeding for 12 years. Nobody was ever able to heal her. But she did not want to be seen. She wanted to go unnoticed. But finally, she realized Jesus kept looking. Even though she didn't want to be seen, even though she didn't want anybody to know what she had done, Jesus kept looking. He kept looking. And then it goes on to say next in Luke eight forty-seven through 48. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. And Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. In her act of touching Jesus' kanaf, it was in her faith. It showed her faith that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of righteousness who rises with healing in his wings, in his kanaf. It was that act. In our Christmas, my, my family's Christmas for this year, Malachi's problem was that he was bleeding. And the doctors could not stop it. And, and this, this time around, Jesus didn't stop the bleeding either. And it led to uh, a funeral. And uh, as we were there, we were just healing these stories. I saw social media posts. And, and the thing that people kept saying, this was a theme that emerged, was even though Malachi couldn't talk, that guy saw me. And there are all these people who had these testimonies that they were seen by him. Times, terrible times that they were having in their own lives. And this kid looked at them and saw them. Now, as I was wrestling, and, and part of me as I was listening to these stories about being seen, we're all different. And that's why some of us are desperate for attention. Some of us are uncomfortable with attention. I'm more on that spectrum of a lot of times I don't like attention. I want to be unnoticed. Maybe it's because police have my pictures and they're looking for me, right? So even though, like, we're all in that kind of, like, some of us, like, that seems like a nightmare being seen. We want to be unnoticed. I was thinking about why she wanted to be unnoticed. This woman had been bleeding for 12 years with nobody able to help her. When people looked at her, they probably looked at her with either contempt she was unclean. They probably looked at her with pity or condescension, like, oh, poor, poor thing. They probably looked at her with judgment, like, wonder what's wrong with her, why she has all these problems, why she deserves to have this happen from God. 
So I imagine that this woman, the only eyes that she was really used to were people looking at her with judgment. People looking at her, looking to find something wrong with her. And in, in my version of this story, as she's wanting to hide her face and not wanting to be seen as they're looking for her, I see Jesus reaching down and taking her face and guiding it so that they make eye contact and so that she can be seen. And these eyes are not the eyes of condemnation or judgment or pity. They're the eyes of love. They're eyes of compassion that say, I suffer with you. I understand. I've seen you bleeding. I'm so sorry this has been happening, but I am with you. Right. I am the son of righteousness that has risen with healing in my wings. I imagine that. It's always rough to go through a funeral. It's especially hard when it's a child, a teenager. And uh, at a graveside at Christmas time, it's difficult. And this time I was one of the ones who was under the tent there for that really terrible moment. I think most of us would agree that terrible moment when the grave gets lowered into the ground. And as we sat there, just waiting for it to happen, I looked and I noticed on the casket, and on Malachi's casket, all around, there were these little posts with a drawing of a rising sun. And I thought, even as Malachi's body is being lowered into the ground, the gospel that Malachi is being proclaimed, that the sun of righteousness rises with healing in its wings. The healing is there. I know a lot of us have been going through some really tough stuff, but think about Jesus. Jesus could look at that woman with compassion. Come, meaning with, passion is suffering. I'm talking about the passion of Christ because he knew that this woman, he stopped, the reason why he stopped her bleeding was because he was going to bleed for her. And that's how Jesus died. But we have hope because Those cloths that he was wrapped in, there was healing. And he was raised to life. The gospel isn't just about making bad people good. I mean, forgiveness is great and growing is great. But the the message of the gospel that Jesus proclaimed is that Jesus came to make, give dead people life. That the son of righteousness has risen with healing in his wings. The woman who had been bleeding for 12 years eventually passed on. She did die, but she didn't really die because there is healing in wings. This morning, go ahead. As we get ready to close things, I want to point out our prayer team. And Alan is part of this prayer team. The mothers. The question I want to ask you there a part of you that wants to reach out to those wings? Do you feel drawn to Christ for maybe the forgiveness or the, the healing that you're looking for? What if God looks at you and sees you? He sees you not with the eyes of judgment, not with pity eyes, not with disappointed eyes, but eyes of love, a God who has seen you, a God who wants to bring you healing in ways that you can't even imagine. That is the gospel we proclaim today. It's good news of great joy for all the people.
people, and you're all the people. A Savior has been born. They wrapped him in cloths. And there's healing in those cloths because there's healing in him. Today, if you want to reach out some way, if you, there's nothing magic in this prayer shawl. If anybody wants to touch it, it will be on the altar. If you want somebody to pray with you, you can. we'll have somebody in a prayer room too. There's a prayer room just over to the side of us. But we want you to know today that you're seen, not with eyes of judgment, but with eyes of compassion. The God who understands, the God who's bled, the God who gets it, the God who's with us and for us. And it's good news of great joy for all the people. So at any point today, again, you can come forward, you can speak somebody out, go to the prayer room, and someone will be with you to pray with you if you would like that.